I've always struggled to have that lust for life. And so making this album was kind of my search for that. And that's the part of my grief that I shared, you know, and who knows, maybe it's a delayed reaction. There are songs in the vault about my grief, but this was really about the reaction to grief and how it changed my life and what it urged within me and the fuel that it gave me to be less reserved, be less anxious to live loudly or to take up space or to make fun music people could dance to, you know, like my life was so serious and everything I was talking about with my loved ones, with my grief counselor, with my therapist was so serious that I really wanted something that didn't feel as serious when I went into the studio. I wanted a break from the seriousness. That was Leticia Tamko, a.k.a. Vacabond, and this is Shiro's, a podcast with a mission to turn up the volume of women's voices in music across genres and generations. I'm Carmel Holt, and what you're about to hear is a previously aired interview from my syndicated public radio show, Shiro's Radio. Shiro's is a deep dive into the experiences and perspectives of women and gender expansive folks in a still overwhelmingly male-dominated music industry. It's a space where we discuss challenges and triumphs, how far we've come and how far we still have to go. Telling our stories is the first step to making music better for everyone. The past few years was a time when we all experienced so much collective and personal grief. And many songs and albums written during that time became more personal and vulnerable. There were also artists who responded to the darkness with Technicolor, turning up the joy and in some cases, leaning into creating dance music that was club ready during a time when we might not be quite ready to go back to the club. The multi-instrumentalist, producer and singer-songwriter Leticia Tamko even surprised herself when many of the songs she wrote in the wake of the loss of her best friend and closest collaborator were rhythmic electropop gems, a feeling of celebrating life and giving herself the gift of solace and fun in the music she was creating, came together on a new collection of songs for her third full-length album, Sorry I Haven't Called. Leticia was born in Cameroon and moved to the States when she was 13. With French as her native language and West African music her childhood soundtrack, Leticia's path to becoming the artist we now know as Vagabond was one she charted entirely on her own and even at first in secret. While in college studying engineering, Leticia found a supportive community in the DIY Brooklyn indie and punk scene. And in 2014, she put out her debut EP as Vagabond, Persian Garden. Three years later, her breakthrough full-length debut, Infinite Worlds, came out. And in 2019, Vagabond's critically hailed self-titled album was released on Nonsuch Records. We celebrate Vagabond's new high-water mark of an album, Sorry I Haven't Called, and welcome back Leticia Tamko as this week's Shiro in the Spotlight. Leticia Tamko, welcome to Shiro's. Great to see you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Congratulations on the beautiful third album, Sorry I Haven't Called. And now that it's been out, any reflections so far? Yes. One of my biggest takeaways from releasing this album is how much I loved collaborating, which feels huge because it was kind of my thing before to not <laughs> open up that door. Not that it was an ethos of any kind. It just was where I was. And that's the cool thing about speaking to you or, you know, having kind of an updated conversation is I get to look back at who I was in 2020. And so 
I really loved collaborating on this album. I really enjoyed getting to know my voice. In the pandemic, I got vocal lessons for the first time. So this album kind of feels like when I will look back at my catalog, it feels like I'll remember what I did for this album to come to life. Yeah, it's a lot of growth. And when you're somebody like yourself that has a background in engineering and you can play everything and you have been so self-sufficient for all of your career, there's a lot of trust that's needed and opening up and vulnerability to hand some of that responsibility over to another person. Can you talk to us a little bit about that, how you feel like you arrived there and who that person was and why you felt comfortable to do so or people? Because of making two albums in the past where I'm producing and it's such a part of my songwriting, it actually would be really difficult to separate the songwriting and the production for me. And, you know, I worked mainly with friends and I selected a very specific group of people to do what they're really good at. And I did what I was really good at. And, you know, my friend Casey MQ is an incredible songwriter and pianist. And, you know, when it comes to songs like Autobahn, I hummed that organ part because I knew what I wanted to sound like vocally, but I didn't have the chops to play it. And he did. So it really was this collage of everyone's strengths and knowing exactly what I wanted from each collaborator because of what I enjoyed about their work. And I worked with a handful of people who have never even met each other. You know, I kind of was traveling with my hard drive, like, ah, Casey would do a great job playing this organ part. And Teo would be great at making these drums amazing. And we have Rostam who came in a year after I kind of thought I finished the album and revisited and still thought there was more to be done. And obviously his resume speaks for itself and going across every song with him and getting his perspective and his expertise and his experience, it really came together like a collage. That is a beautiful way of putting it. Well, since you just mentioned Autobahn, I don't know whether that's a great place for us to start today. Is there anything else that you want to tell us about the song before we go into a clip? Yeah, Autobahn is a song that Still, when I play it live, I feel like it's the first time I wrote it. I was sitting in a room with my friend Casey and we were talking about our very real experiences, both feeling a version of heartbreak and we listened to Fleetwood Mac's Landslide because we were like, we want this to be, you know, the idea was to write this song kind of pen and paper style, no phones, just really on the page. How does it read? And also just what I was saying in conversation with Casey ended up being the lyrics. He would ask me questions and I'd be like, I don't remember much. And it's like, let's write that down. And it was a really beautiful way of writing a song that I haven't really done before. And it's about my time in the German countryside and falling in love while also grieving the death of a loved one and reconciling how love had changed for me through my grief and this song is about that everyone's fast asleep we stayed up all night on their floor i don't remember what you said i don't remember much missing you What was 
That's Autobahn, the new Vagabond album. Sorry, I haven't called. Leticia Tamko is our guest on Shiro's and I'm Carmel Holt. I loved how you described both the collage and how you redefined what love was in that context of, first of all, being in new territory, maybe with that combo of recent death of a loved one and then finding new love and heartbreak and the various types of heartbreak that coalesced during this time that also was collective heartbreak, you know, so a lot of collective grief, a lot of collective heartbreak and also a lot of love um, seems to be the backdrop for this record. Do you want to talk a little bit about how you think that informed the sonic palette that you're working with here? Because it had some unexpected results, maybe. Yeah. The process of making this album was my form of escapism from the grief. I didn't want to process my grief in song, which I had done historically. I'd use my music to understand and process these different feelings, but I felt more private about that one. I wasn't ready to share my despair and my thoughts on grief yet. What I was willing to share was the fire it put under me, the urgency that it gave me for life in a way that I've struggled with in the past through mental health difficulties and general life stuff. And like you said, the collective grief we were all in in this period, I've always struggled to have that lust for life. And so making this album was kind of my search for that. And that's the part of my grief that I shared, you know, and who knows, maybe my next album, maybe it's the delayed reaction, you know, like (laughs) there are songs in the vault about my grief, but this was really about the reaction to grief and how it changed my life and what it urged within me and the fuel that it gave me to be less reserved, be less anxious to live loudly or to take up space or to make fun music people could dance to, you know, like my life was so serious and everything I was talking about with my loved ones, with my grief counselor, with my therapist was so serious that I really wanted something that didn't feel as serious when I went into the studio. I wanted a break from the seriousness. Oh my gosh, that makes so much sense. And it also is like so moving. And it makes me think about that time frame of the pandemic and how it refocused and reshaped our priorities for so many people, you know, like people quitting their jobs and people deciding to really like grab life, if you'll pardon the ex- yeah. expression, like grab life by the balls and just be like, I'm done waiting. Exactly. You know, life is for living. Life is short. Life is precious. Right. And that's one part of the spectrum, right? Of course, there are others that very, very rightly also experience the other side right. of depression. Yeah. But yeah, I find it really, really inspiring to hear you talk about that and hear this album through that lens. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, don't get me wrong. I had times when I sat back and looked at the songs that I'd made and I felt guilt, you know, like, why didn't I write about my friend's death more specifically? Could I have honored my grief in a different way? Am I hiding from my grief by not writing specifically about the despair? Maybe a whole year of this four year break was me coming to terms with like, is this what I want to share because I'm feeling guilty about not 
sharing the stuff I was sharing in, in my private life and my private conversations. But like you said, I think we all experienced so much loss, whether it was like lost through COVID, the illness itself, people got divorced, people got like so many things happened and we all took a look at our lives and decided what do we really want. And when I'm zooming out, I like having Sorry I Haven't Called in my discography, album three. It felt right. And I plan to have a long career if, if I'm lucky. And it felt right for me to make this album and for me to share this album because it is what I made. In an uncontrived, very pure way, this is what was getting me excited during a really dark time. Can you paint a picture for us of the backdrop of where you were, the new surroundings that you were in, where you found yourself? Because there was a lot of newness, too. Yeah, I realize now with this being my third album that I have a tendency to create dreamlike environments for myself to work in. It's almost like it can always be pure if there's an air of newness to it. You know, it's like the pureness of a kid or the purity of a child, the purity of someone innocent or naive, you know, in an kind of endearing way. So I started to have this dream when my friends told me about their house in the North countryside of Germany. And they told it to me as like, we go there, we make music, we take psychedelics <laughs> and go on walks in the forest. And I was like, wow, this sounds beautiful. And then after Eric died, I needed something new. I needed to go somewhere that inspired me. And I'm often inspired by being in new places, seeing new people, being immersed. And so for Germany, it was like, I don't speak German. I'm in the countryside. We're just a few months post vaccine. So I'm just now allowed to even be there. And I'm you know, in this house that's wooden and carpeted and made a home studio out of the living room and every meal was home cooked and everything closes on Sundays in Germany. It was a slow life. I would go on walks. I would work in the studio for 16 hours a day, sometimes to avoid my grief, sometimes to explore my grief, sometimes to just have something to do. So I found that I'm really productive if I can take away as many distractions from my regular life as possible, because I will find a reason not to work. <laughs> and it's easy to fall into our very human desire to avoid yes. things, yeah. right? I'm not an energizer bunny at all. I mean, my toy schedule this year might say a different story, but I am not <laughs> at all an energized person. I'm like, you know, those wind up toys that you can just like wind, wind, wind. And for like a bit of time, they like go crazy and move around and then they stop. That's me. So I needed to create a quiet, slow paced life so that I can leisurely write music. And again, you hear that pastoral backdrop kind of storybook vibes. And then you hear a song like Lexicon and you're like, <laughs> I know there was a couple of chapters of writing. Some of it was also written in California. Where did Lexicon happen? Well, I wrote it for the first time in California in like my friend's garage. And then I took it to Germany, but I couldn't really work on it in Germany. Maybe the vibe didn't fit. Um, <laughs> but I, I knew there was something about the hook that I liked, but I wasn't sure about the song and if it fit on the album. And then when I met Rostam like a year later, I played it for him. And I was like, this one doesn't fit, but I'll play it for you anyway. And he was like, no, I think just, can I have a shot with that one? I was like, 
go for it. I was going to throw it away anyway. <laughs> it's just like a very upbeat, fun easy to listen to, easy to get into. It's one that when I play live, I see the sea of people, they can't help but move. And it's just nice to have a song like that in your discography. Why not? Vagabond's new album is Sorry I Haven't Called. That's Lexicon on Shiro's. Leticia Tamko is here with us. We had such a great conversation when we first met about your experiences coming up in music and studying engineering and being a little bit more of like a science and math head and being very outnumbered there in terms of your gender. So can you talk to us a little bit about where the road has taken you in terms of what you've seen in terms of representation, in terms of your own experience, what your vantage point is now on all that stuff? Yeah, I'm certainly seeing a lot of forward progression in terms of, you know, I'm crazy about community building. I'm crazy about that being the heart, where the heart can live within industries, specifically mine, the music industry. <laughs> I, yes. I think, you know, I have been really fortunate, like we spoke about last time, to just have a really great community of people around me. And the fun thing about making this album is with certain songs that are maybe like more club-like, whether it's You Know How or Made Out With Your Best Friend, it's like as soon as the album drops, I'm seeing like people played at queer parties and like that's my dream, you know, is for this to be an album that people commune over because I've had that experience of being brought up by the people around me and that's what I continue to want to do in my work. And I think it's also really impactful when you're doing the work, even when no one's looking. Yes. So do you see any change in terms of who you see reflected back to you, like even in crews or especially I'm interested in talking to you about the tech thing, because that comes up so much in these conversations. Mm -hmm. At the end of the show, I've started doing this thing called the Shiro's Magic Wand, where I ask my guests to vision the Shiro's Magic Wand and like first wave of the wand. What would you change mm -hmm. in the industry mm -hmm. for basically non-men? And a lot of people talk about the lack of representation in tech mm -hmm. and production. Yeah. And I think of you often, actually, when that comes up, yeah. you know? Yeah, it's true. It's something that at this point, I might even have a complex about it. You know, it's like no one wants a part of their identity to be taken away. And that's with gender, that's with race, that's with emotional health stuff, that's with ableism. Right. And that's also a thing in music where often it's a tale as old as time, often 
if you are a femme front-facing person, you are a singer-songwriter, which is a really important thing to be, by the way. It was like not an Definitely. easy thing to be. But if you have producer in there, it's almost like, eh. <laughs> how much of that is true? But we have so many, I can think of so, so many, but I've met a lot of women in the last couple years who maybe come from a different world where they've always had a producer or they've always had people in the room kind of not telling them what to do, but leading the tech charge. And, you know, with the pandemic coming and no one being able to work together, a lot of those people started like making stuff at home. And, you know, they're telling me about their experiences. And I'm like, right, because that's really all it is. And when you think about why the most prominent producers, the ones who get hired often, the ones who get called into the room often are at that level is because they've been given the opportunity to practice and they've been given the opportunity to be in several rooms and learn a lot from other people. So if those opportunities aren't afforded to other people, there's going to be a gap in experience. It's just it's basic math. So I think one way that the pandemic helped, at least the people in my community, is that you know, those who felt like they couldn't be self-sufficient, they couldn't get on a DAW and start recording themselves. They started to out of necessity because that's how I started. And what I'd hope for, my dream, is that me as a producer can get called into the room the same as my counterpart who has the same experience as me, who has the same number of albums under their belt as me, and that it shouldn't matter whether it's my album or not, you know? So are you saying, and I hope this is what I'm hearing you say, that you'd be open to producing and engineering for others? A hundred percent. And yes, a hundred percent. And, you know, I think immediately of Melina from the band JSOM, who is an incredible engineer and producer and now plays in Boy Genius with Phoebe Bridgers and Lucy Dacus and Julian Baker. And when I see crews like that, when I see like Melina and I see all the stuff that she's been producing you know, you get a little giddy, like you can't deny that. You can't take that away. Absolutely. And I also think that some of this goes back further even to the educational level, which is something else you and I talked about. Do you know who Miss Grit is? Do you know her? No. She's an emerging artist out of New York, came up through NYU in the engineering program. And one thing that was really interesting was not only the fact that she was isolated, the only femme person in those rooms studying, but also that she's like, just even look at what the equipment looks like, what the tech looks like, how it's designed, because it's all designed or a lot of it is designed still majority by men mm. and not designed for us. Mm. I mean, I think about instruments that aren't designed with women's hands or bodies in mind, you mm. know, mm. and that was such a revelation in a way to consider that. But I was curious whether you agree with that at that base level in education and even further back than that in design, in tech design. That's a really great perspective that I hadn't thought of specifically, but of course makes sense when you think about not just studio equipment, but instruments, like you said, especially because like the needs of every single musician are different. And so the more perspectives you have from the schematic point, the more I can serve every musician. So I think that's brilliant. I actually hadn't thought of it. She sounds smart. <laughs> 
She's really, really <laughs> smart. Yeah. And I know that you like know how to build yeah. things too, you know? So I was right. like, not to put more things on your plate, Leticia, <laughs> but like, you know, like you make pedals, you know yeah. how to like do all of this shit. Yeah. <laughs> it's something that I've always thought of, you know, once I recover from my trauma of engineering school. I mean, it was so hard, but like, you know, like anything, even when you hear of musicians like going to school for music and, and then having to reconcile their complicated relationship, any type of education. But I'm almost at that point where I have a lot of respect for like, you know, companies like teenage engineering and like innovators. Like I'm always going to be interested in that. That's why I got into engineering in the first place. The first day of engineering school, they tell you, you're a problem solver. That's what we're teaching you to do. And so when we ask ourselves these questions, they are problems that could be solved. And I'm really interested in like community work. Like I've volunteered a lot for like girls rock camp and like I would teach them soldering and like making little schematics that are really simple for kids. But these initiatives are things that I'm really interested in. And like I said, I'll have a long career and it's not just a musical one. You know, I think there's a world where design and using my electrical engineering understanding comes into play because I'm, I'm watching those parts of the industry as well. That's so good. And I also think about the mentoring aspect. I've been brainstorming for a couple of years now with a friend of mine named Bella Blasco, who's a mix engineer. She works with the national mostly, but has worked on a bunch of stuff independently. Do you know Jen Wozner, Flock of Dimes, yeah. Y Oak? Yeah. So Bella mixed her last record. Jen actually was talking about the experience of working with Bella and how it was so different for her because sometimes she feels like she struggles with the language. Like speaking of lexicon, yeah. like there's a whole language to it that I think could also go so far to leveling the playing field, even if Musicians don't want to be self-sufficient in that way. But if they learn the language that will empower them in those situations uh, to be able to say what they want and be specific. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's really important to like arm ourselves, women, femme people, non-binary people with this language, because like anything, like currently we wouldn't be able to speak to each other. Being misunderstood is like one of the most disheartening feelings you can have. And then when it's about something so close to your heart, like your art, your emotions, it could send you into like a crisis identity. And so I'm really in awe. I mean, sorry, I haven't called this mastered by an incredible mastering engineer named Emily Lazar at Lodge Mastering, who's so brilliant and is really like someone that I now admire. And it's important to remember these experiences and how to bridge the gap, you know, like, and organizing your team around yes. what you want to see, you know. Exactly. Being the change that you want to see. Yeah. I think you have always done. Thank you. Um, let's get back to music. I was thinking that maybe we could go a little bit more chronological for this one. Can you take us to the initial spark? Well, Carpenter was the first song that I wrote on this album. And at that point, it was 2019 still, I believe. And I wasn't making an album. I just wrote a song. <laughs> it's not until I have like five songs that I feel like I'm making an album. But that song has gone through so many different iterations. It started on piano and was much slower. The first one that was the spark of the sonic landscape of this album that really showed me like where I wanted to take it was Can I Talk My Shit? 
And I was like, oh, okay, I think I know where I want to take it. I think this is the song that I'll build the rest from and see that they all work together. Do you want to tell us anything about what this song is about? Yeah, I mean, it's about... I I like humor. I like to laugh. A lot of my friends are comedians, really funny people. I enjoy humor in music as well. And I think even serious songs can have humor in them. Sometimes the humor is in the production. Sometimes the humor is in how someone decides to play a part. And I've always enjoyed that. So with Can I Talk My Shit, I wanted to really set the tone. It's track one. I knew immediately it was going to be track one because... I wanted to set the tone of let's be lighthearted about this. Let's be kind of funny. Let's be kind of like taunting the way that maybe our teenager like hanging out with your friends and just feeling unencumbered by like the world's stress. Like you don't care if we're in a recession or if your parents can afford to buy you a jacket. You're just kind of like enjoying the moment and talk my shit. It's really about giving myself permission to be that playful, even though I hadn't really shown that side of me in my work before. Can I talk my shit? I, I got way too high for this. I'm riding on a wave too low. Never find myself through the smoke. Can I be Starts off the new Vagabond album, Sorry I Haven't Called. It's album three for Leticia Tamko. She's our guest today on Shiro's and I'm Carmel Holt. I caught wind of you hanging out with David Byrne sometime yeah. over the past few years. That's true. Not to be all name droppy, <laughs> but like I got excited. Is there anything... Well, simmering there? Well, you know, maybe a, a seed was planted and who knows when it'll grow. But David Byrne, I, I will never forget it, emailed me on a morning. It's like, I'm on the corner of your street. Want to go on a walk? It's like, what the hell? I was eating like something boring, like oatmeal or something. I was like, fuck this oatmeal. I mean, <laughs> And we just walked around Central Park and he was really, maybe this is something people already know about him, but he was really interested and he asked me a lot of questions. He had a lot of questions for me. And, you know, I think he had gone to school for like architecture or something. He's also kind of technical brain. And we talked about engineering and we walked around for quite a while, talked about art. And I just couldn't believe, I I was like, am I really in Central Park? I was looking around like, do people realize I'm in Central Park with David? burn right now and yeah he'd like email me some stuff he likes that he saw it's just a really cool moment really really cool moment I, I met him originally when he tapped me to do a bbc world service with him and saint vincent and you know chose who he wanted to be in conversation with and i was just blown away that he even knew who i was 
This kind of shit always happens to you, I feel it's like. Crazy. It's so crazy. Like that story you told me about Bjork, oh, yeah. like I will never ever forget that. Me neither. I'll never forget that. I mean, I know you won't either, but like, oh I'll my be, God. I'll be like 70 years old, like kids. <laughs> do you know who, who wanted to go out dancing with me? It was Bjork. I know. <laughs> it's like so crazy. Yeah. It's so crazy. Okay. So you're about to go out on tour with these songs. Yes. You've mentioned a few times, like playing these songs live. So you've done it a little bit now already. Yes. Right. But like, this is going to be your headlining tour, your first one in a while. Exactly. What are the feels? What are the plans? I, Tell us everything. I couldn't be more excited. I love the show that we've built. My band is amazing. I love performance. I started playing music, performing more than I ever recorded. So it's a thrill to be back on the stage, to be bringing my band with me, to be bringing these songs and really building a show that I've always dreamt of in my mind and, and a show that's like different enough because I really love when I go to see shows and there's something about it that doesn't make me feel like I I could just be at home listening to the record. So we've like totally. built in these really special moments that only exist in the live show and will only exist for that moment with these people and all of us in the room. And you know, playing my home city, New York. And, you know, I never got to tour the self-titled album. And, right. and so this is kind of really special for me to get back in front of fans and look them in the face and sing all together. And, and now people have had enough time to study these lyrics. So I have high expectations yes. that I will be singing, I will be seeing the mouths moves and the bodies will be moving. All right. So if you're listening and you're planning to go to a Vagabond show and you haven't learned the lyrics yet, you have some homework. You have some to do. homework. The syllabus has been announced. Exactly. Tell us about your band members. Yeah, I have Drew Tashin, who's on drums, and Michael Blasky, who's playing sax and keys and bass guitar. And I'm holding down guitar and keys. And the three of us have really locked into something and each record I've had I've had like a little ambient moment in it if in a world it was Malala's and yeah. you know self-titled it's home soon and this one has an ambient an interlude, interlude yeah. and so I'm really excited that you know my band and I have created these like moments with there's not really much sax on the album but we're all kind of we really made a show like a seamless show that I think people are going to be really Really excited about it. I can't wait. So why don't we do the Shiro's Magic Wand? Cool. Are you ready for Let's that? Let's do it. Cool. So, dear Leticia, I give you the Shiro's Magic Wand. And with this wand, you can change anything in music that you want for femmes, non-binary and queer folks. What would you change? First wave of the wand. First wave of the wand. More... Femme, non-binary, and queer ANRs at labels. Yes. How should we close today? Ooh, good question. What do you think? Well, I was just going to say, you know, we've been talking about how you are so inspired by new surroundings and this new sonic palette and how each time you go out, you're pushing your boundaries a little bit further and trying out new things. And I was like, is there anything on this record that you're like the most proud of in that way? And tell us why you're proud of it. Mm, I want to say, you know how, but 
I think even more so anti-fuck. And the reason is because that song feels like a return to my first album, but through the lens of me having made three albums, it feels like the perfect combination of all these things I've been sharing. Am I wrong to decide the last thing I want is I Leticia, it's been so great to have you here. Thank you for spending time with us on Shiro's. Congratulations on Sorry I Haven't Called. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Many thanks to Leticia Tamko for being with us. The new Vagabond album, Sorry I Haven't Called, is out now on Nonesuch Records. Shiro's is produced by me, is mixed and mastered by Kelly Drake. Our original theme music is by Lucius. Shiro's is also a nationally syndicated radio show. You can visit shirosradio.com to find out more and support our work with Patreon or merch from the Shiro's shop. Keep in touch on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at Carmel Holt or find us at Shiro's Radio. And please consider leaving us a rating and review wherever you listen to your podcast that helps us grow and bring you more Shiro's. Until next time, remember, music is our superpower. I'm Carmel Holt. Thanks for listening. Listening.